Welcome to Innovating Music, a podcast from the UCLA Herb Alpert School of Music and the UCLA Center for Music Innovation. I'm your host, Dr. Gigi Johnson. We're going to share a treat heading through the New Year's weekend of re-releasing some of our favorite podcasts from 2018. Please enjoy them, revving up through New Year's Day and right after that, Very excited to be sharing with you Siddhartha Kosla, who is creating original scores for not just This Is Us, but several other television shows at the same time. But while we're waiting for that release of our new podcast, please enjoy some of our gems from 2018. I had the fun at Music Biz in Nashville in May 2018 of meeting with Joe Conyers, and he shared his thoughts and experiences about many different international and domestic issues, including royalties for songwriters, rights, markets, and metadata issues. We talked about the impacts on streaming growth from cheap smartphones in urban markets across the world, ancient infrastructure and legacy systems from the 1980s, 90s, and 2000s. And we wrapped up talking about the futures of Alexa and terrestrial radio with a bit of an optimistic spin on the opportunities coming from the normalization and future glorious years of streaming in the future. So can you tell me, to start out, a little bit about what your company does and what its mission and adventure is? So SongTrust helps independent songwriters and music publishers uh, collect their royalties from around the world. And we work with over 150,000 songwriters and over 20,000 music publishers. So when you create a song, if you write it with some friends or a band or whatever, you have rights to the songwriting as much as hopefully your, your other compatriots there. You have a percentage on the song, and we go out there and collect your money based on that song. You could try to do it yourself. It's going to basically take you a ton of paperwork, many, many hours of your day that you could be using to do creative stuff. And so we make it super easy. So this is, though, as a publisher, so you're doing this for other publishers as a publisher? Yes. So we act as their publishing administrator. So we're just like a service provider. We don't offer any creative services. So if that traditional publisher is really good at creative, they really want to go out and do A&R, and they want to make get records from the songs that their songwriters are writing, or if they have artists themselves, they're going to go maybe collaborate with other songwriters. Maybe they're not good at the paperwork stuff, right? So we do that. It's very expensive these days to run the infrastructure of a traditional publisher. The math really roughly works out to, until you're making about $2 million in royalties, it's just not worth your time. And after there, if you're, if you're making more than Wait, $2 so million. So if you're making less than $2 million, it's not worth your time to do it yourself. Correct. Because it's changed so much, because of streaming, because of the global side, what makes it not worth? Because I actually know a lot of songwriters who are doing their own stuff, who yep. think that they're being very proactive and yep. modern and forward thinking. Yeah. I mean, if you have things going on around the world, it's never been more complicated to collect your money. And there's never been as many royalties. So you have this confluence of, well, there's a lot out there, but you only have so many hours a day. And so you can get a traditional publisher if you're a very lucky person and you get signed to a deal. Our parent company is actually Downtown Music Publishing, a traditional music publisher where we do A&R and creative services and pitch music for film and TV. And you guys are based where? Or they're based where? So I work for both companies and I'm the head of technology and digital for Downtown. And we're based headquartered in New York. but We have offices in Tokyo, Mel- uh, Sydney, L.A., Nashville, London, Amsterdam, and Paris. 
So do you get to go and travel to all these adventurous spots? I do. I haven't been to Tokyo or Sydney yet, but they're on my list. I would really like to go, but um, we just opened those offices in the last two or three years, so I haven't had a chance to go. We're actually really excited to do more work in Japan with SongTrust. Um, we've been you know, hitting the ground there, and it's a unique market. It's very complicated, obviously, given A, the language barrier, but the streaming market is just about to pop there, so I'm pretty psyched about that. I really want to talk today about a couple of things. One is how you're looking to the future for what you're doing, especially given as we're sitting here at the Music Biz Conference in beautiful Nashville, where it's much cooler inside than outside right now. Uh, but the fact that we've just spent a lot of time listening to how streaming has just transformed the market in the past couple of years. And, and in a session earlier today, looking actually the past three years, if we look internationally, but we're talking mostly domestically here, and I'd really love to also talk about what you are seeing, because you're kind of at the, the front edge of some of the change happening yeah. internationally. Yeah. So. yeah, I mean, we've been licensing fringe markets for a while. Um, China has been difficult. Uh, India's coming back online, I would say. You know, the, there was a, a Indian Performing Rights Society that was basically taken out by the government because the labels were stealing billions of dollars over the last 10 years and now it's coming back online so we're excited about that market as a growth market um we're seeing indian streaming services get really good uptick you just saw savin merge with another one uh creating kind of a monolith streaming service in india we're out in the middle east doing licensing we're doing a lot of interesting things in africa you know we've got um these these third worlds are rapidly going to grow and their urban markets that are going to listen to music on their phone when they have cheap smartphones you know as that contain that trend obviously is, is happening and um you've got latam is is pretty telco centric so we license vis-a-vis their you know in certain countries where there is money coming out um you mean where you can get the money out? Yeah, I mean, you know, in in it's difficult as a U.S. company sometimes to get money out of like Argentina, so we have to use a partner um, or reinvest of, back in that country through someone else. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we'll partner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Venezuela they can barely afford food at the moment, so I'm not really worried about trying to get my music royalties from Venezuela, unfortunately. And then places like uh, Colombia. The society there is aptly named Psycho, and uh, they're... Now, this is going to be publicly recorded. That's the technical sure. name. Psycho, okay. It's P, you know, it's, it's it just, it probably doesn't mean anything in, in you know, Spanish, so it doesn't really, no skin off their back. Um, so they, uh, they've been investigated by their government, and I believe they've, their tax authorities are, are clamped down on all their money, and, you know, there's there's some hard societies. Even Spain, uh, there were 22 people indicted, I believe, um, a couple months back for a scam where they were playing music at like five in the morning with very light tones, and the TV stations were in bed with these music publishers there, and there's a whole investigation happening. So, you know, as much so as you think, so is it easier for this to happen in a streaming world where the volume has gone up by two thousand fold? And now you've got more things to keep track of and there's a bigger flow happening? Or is this always, always quote unquote, been this way and it's just more obvious now because things are getting more translucent? Um, Or is it not translucent at all? And that's part of the problem. Part of the problem is that a lot of these societies are, have aged infrastructure. um, And we've come in and been able to, work with that and work around that and work with them to enable people who would otherwise probably not get money out of these territories to get money out of these territories. And 
Um, now that there's just a bigger pool of money, it's worth going after. It probably wasn't worth going after your $5 in, in Greece by yourself, right? You're not going to go and sign up to the Greek society, although the Greek society just went bust as well. <laughs> it's, it's a bad example. But even in, like, Norway, are you going to go call up the Norwegian society, Tono, and say, hey, hey, guys, can I have my money? No, you're not going to waste it for 5 bucks. But joining SongTrust is just automatic, and you're going to get your 5 bucks from there, from Sweden, from all these other places. And in the aggregate, it's worth it now because you have fans that are listening to your songs in uh, far-flung territories, especially if you get playlisted. The playlists are global now. Mm-hmm. You're going to get streams somewhere else, right? And so you need to be prepared to collect money in those territories maybe like you didn't before. And not just global, but specifically global, so that you're going to have playlists that are also within each of these territories as well. So this is helping you then track what's happening with all of those playlists from all over the world as the, or is that almost a separate dance that you're doing is that you're going to be able to see the, the digital dust come out the back end of it that your guys are tracking as well as having then the actual usage. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you may not get that data at, from, from the songwriter perspective. You'll see that in your Spotify artist account or something or, or your Pandora uh, artist account where you could see, you know, what territories you're getting streams and maybe, oh, maybe I do want to go tour in, in you know, Estonia or something. Um, I'll tack that onto my European term, tour because there's a bunch of people listening to my songs there. But that's not going to come through your publishing side. And that's what I was kind of getting to. So that for a lot of folks, they're thinking of all of their territories if they are on the performance side of the equation, if they're involved with the master. If you're involved on the, on the songwriting side of it, what type of granular data on this changing international world do you actually get? It's, it's, it's sad how bad the data is is from um, certain societies. And I think that's a function of legacy systems. You know, a lot of the technology the societies have is, is literally from the 80s, 90s, and, and early 2000s. And it's, it's creaking, you know. It's hard to jam millions and millions, billions of lines, trillions of lines through a database designed in 1995. It's just there was never contemplated that that would happen to them. By we've worked with a lot of different aggregators of, of rights. Some PROs have come together to, to combine their back offices. There's a great company, which we're the first publishing partner of uh, and customer of. It's a company called ICE that helps us uh, collect royalties across Europe. We're innovating to make sure that you know we're effectively removing some of these societies that don't have the infrastructure to accurately pay out royalties in, in a granular fashion. So a lot of these societies will, they'll call it clipping the long tail. So they'll go down to 5,000 or 50,000 or 500,000 streams, and they just won't pay out on those those streams until they aggregate up to that amount. And with because our... The, because I would assume the cost of actually delivering the money is more than it actually would be for those streams. It's even processing the data. You yeah. know, they, they don't have the systems that are... Can can hit that just that longer tail. So if you go down to, you may only have to process for fifty thousand artists or songwriters instead of, you know, hundred thousand or two hundred thousand songwriters. Um, if you go down to a certain amount in certain territories. So backtracking though slightly for our listening audience, long tail referring to Chris Anderson's long tail model. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you think about long tail in the in the music community. You think about songwriters, who are. Um, they're not hit makers, right? They they may be one day, but you know they're getting, you know, tens of thousands of streams, hundreds of thousands of streams, maybe a million streams. That's probably where it kind of kicks in to to be less than long tail and more closer to the mid tail. Yeah, um, seems odd that that has become small. 
Yeah, you know, you mean a million streams yeah. seems like a lot. It, it, it would little. have seemed like a lot back five years ago. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, you got to think. Of, I think about it this way, right? If you can't get your mom to listen to your, your song ten thousand times, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? That's true. <laughs> it used to be, well, what, your mom didn't buy a couple CDs and, and juice you up the charts, right? you got to have a couple fans, right? You really think about getting playlisted in any sort of, let's call it top thousand playlist, which I think is obtainable for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to get some, some you know, material stream counts. And that's where SongTrust comes in, right? You, you, you really need about 250,000 streams to break even on SongTrust across all the services. And that's going to really dramatically decrease over the next coming years because the copyright royalty board has issued uh, a rate change that will increase royalties 43.8 percent over the next five years it was a great time to become uh you know a collecting songwriter and not just do it as a hobby you know it's it's hopefully going to be more and more part of your career um as as a musician you'll be earning more and more money from the side of your of your work um, and that's why you know we're really excited about the next few years because we're going to take the redheaded stepchild music industry, the songwriter, and make them a lot more money. Um, we're going to get them actually paid on a line-by-line ba- basis as much as we can. Um, you know, we talked about the granularity of the data. We, um, we're pushing the services to get more and more granular. Sometimes they just want to write a big check and say, go away, publishers. We, you just, just, just take this check, divide it out by all their other earnings, and, and you know, pay them that instead of saying, well, give it to the accurate uses mm-hmm. and we're a big proponent as a company we want to see the most accurate uses because that ends up with the long tail getting paid more more of what they're owed right um so it's not this kind of dreaded black box that i think you know, a lot of people talk about in the music industry where they write a check and they divide it out by market share which tends to be self-reinforcing yeah so then the big artists continue to get the bigger share because they've had it in the past and if they are having granular, come back to granular, if they're having very small pieces of it beginning to grow, they won't be seen until they're bigger. Right. For the baby songwriter, you're not going to get your money unless you're in these systems. And you can try to spend the hundreds of hours I've spent filling out paperwork and dealing with these crazy terminology, or you can click here to, to join a company like mine, right? You know, we are here to try to make it easier for, for these songwriters. And that's my, my mission in this, in this business. It's looking up, finally. Like, you know, we've been working on this seven years, and we are now the biggest music publisher by volume in the world. Sony TV, for example, is, you know, 100 plus years old or whatever, and they have about 36,000 songwriters, so some context here. Um, about one in five, I call them professional songwriters, people who are getting set up with a performing rights organization come through Song Trust every year now. And that is not just, I mean, th- this is across many countries. You're both collecting and representing artists from all these different countries as well. Yeah, I mean, we represent a vast number of territories that we're direct with the societies in. Um, we can help you collect, even if we're not with that society, though it may be more complicated. Um, it, it's hard. I mean, if you're in North Korea, you're not getting your royalties, right? But if you're in, um, we have a client in Kazakhstan who has streams in the U.S. Um, we have a client in just about, I think we just did the, re- the research, and we have a client in every single state in America, even in Montana. That was our last one. I think we had to run not out and sign even one. in Montana. I Gosh, love Montana. I know lots of artists and, and well, songwriters Send them my way. We need more. Okay. Well, let's come back to you. We're talking a bit about expanding into Japan and Australia. Japan traditionally has been a CD market including, if I recall correctly, the fact that 
um, you'll have the strips down the side of the CD that you turn into concerts, which... Yes, yes, uh, the, uh, the the girl group and boy group, you know, you, it's kind of like the Willy Wonka ticket style. You'll buy all these CDs and hopefully you'll get to meet the, the person in the group. So we're, they're, they're finally getting deeper into streaming? So uh, about six months ago, a company called Music Ally went into every single meaningful manager, which managers hold a lot of the power in Japan. Mm-hmm. They went to them and explained how streaming works. And they're just like, Really? This is what streaming does. This is how much money we're making in America. Why aren't you making this a priority? Because you could be making all this money. And they mm-hmm. said, Oh, huh, okay. <laughs> so I predict the next few years in Japan will be transformative. And, you know, it hasn't been for lack of trying. I think they just, they, there wasn't the focus and attention on what it could be. Mm-hmm. And that will be coming in the, in the next few years. Jazz Rack is a, is a society that has some pretty, um, you know, pretty old technology and uh, practices, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's the classic, like, uh, Japanese salaryman style vibes. And it's a, you know, it's a bureaucratic old company. We're confident that eventually things will change, um, and be more, uh, transparent and open and easier. And, uh, you know, we've spent a lot of time on the downtown side, opening our creative office there. And we're spending a lot of time on the Sontra side, trying to figure out how to, uh, to really do, do some great work there. We do a lot of folks world outside Japan right now that, you know, they're, they're local publishers and they're good with jazz rack, but they need help outside the United States or outside of Japan. It's an interesting market. It's, it's going to take, you know, it's going to still take five years, but I think they'll see the light, um, with streaming. So, so years ago on some of these things, I've been doing them for longer than others. One is that I help fund early, early cellular telephone in the United States. I'm on like career nine myself or something (laughs) like that. And at the time we were looking to, uh, Finland and Norway and et cetera to see, well, this is where the business will be going. Can you do the same thing now? I was in Sweden and Norway way back in the winter time and we were talking with folks about how incredibly high the penetration was for streaming there. Are there different things to learn for songwriters in those markets where it's already even, you know, we're in the 80, 90% streaming in some cases. Is it different there for songwriters? I think, you know, there's a different culture of songwriting outside of the United States and outside of um, even Canada. Uh, I think, you know, you, you're in those territories, especially in Nordics, they're taught the songwriting craft earlier in their kind of musical careers. And I think it's a it's more respected than just being the performer artist. I think it's, you know, they think about the creation of music more than the performance of music as a, as a separate kind of uh, interest or, or, or hobby or, or profession. And, uh, obviously there's some very well respected and massive songwriters like Max Martin, I believe he's Swedish. And I think Shellback is also, uh, you know, they're from one of the territories. I can't remember off the top of my head, but you know, they're people who have been just become superstars from, from those countries. And I think the streaming markets for them just seems so natural because it's been there for so long. They also were early adopters of HD radio, which is pretty interesting. Norway, it's actually cut off terrestrial radio, I believe. It's a small country. They can do kind of more dramatic things like that. You know, WIMP, which became Tidal, was really early there. Um, obviously, in the news, they're, they're facing some challenges right now. But, um, you know, overall, I think they've just been early adopters. I think that's because they have a super high penetration rate on cell phones and urban-centric kind of demographic. Are they things we can look to for the future more globally and across the U.S. market? 
I think the U.S. market's pretty solidified in terms of, you know, what is happening. You know, people are obviously adopting it. We're in that, like, late-stage adoption cycle. We still have a lot of more work to do. Amazon's probably going to get the biggest market share out of all these, all the, the folks, just because Alexa is such an easy way to use music. And you think about the kind of lazy, lean-back listener who may just listen to classical music or jazz, who you know would just normally flip on the, the radio, they're going to just switch to using their Amazon Prime account. And once they really click in, oh, I can just do that instead of having to walk over the radio station. It's literally easier. And I don't know if it's 10x better. I don't think it is, but it's 2x better, so you'll see some adoption. I think the other big innovation is going to be time <laughs> you know we just need more time i mean it's, it's but we're taking so much time we're spending a good hour extra in the past two years per day talking to our cell phones and through our cell phones yeah. and having it talk back at us i mean time because we're gonna spend more time with music more time spent listening yes or? i think time spent is gonna go up because it's just so so much more easy to turn the music on you know you just yell at alexa <laughs> i i get home i'm like turn on this alexa i call it my alexa computer because i feel like giving it a name gives it some too much power <laughs> you know you gotta, you gotta keep it an object right i'll go home and i'll say computer turn on you know uh turn on david bowie or something and and it's just not it's just organic instead of having to walk over and switch a station and or put on a cd used to be or even just go to your computer or lift up your phone and pick a song you just say what what's on your mind it's just so natural and it's just it's the best user interface for music so how does that then deal with the there's a great panel on this this morning here actually i think a couple so far about the metadata going into those how does that work with your uh, information coming from your systems in as to uh, anything from you know, disambiguation of a badly labeled song yeah. to mood to sort of adjacency to other artists. How does that tag through or is that part of your dance or is that the master's dance to That's deal with? definitely the label side because it's part of marketing, the, the, the content, right? Picking out the mood, the genre. Um, what, we're, what we're pushing hard on is to see songwriter metadata take a, take a more kind of front foot on platforms. And you saw Spotify added composers. We've been a big proponent and have been asking for many years for that. And Pandora, I think, also has. Pandora, I believe, has as well. I I can tell you you're going to see more DSPs in the next couple of years because we've been really up their craw about it. Mm -hmm. And um, it's exciting. It's, you know, Spotify didn't come without a lot of challenges. You know, we they they have risk that they had to mitigate in the Section 115. The, they're... That data that's on the, the actual site right now is not the publisher's record data, right? It's actually the label data. So that data is bad, it turns out. And it's bad because the artist may not know the right writers of the song. I know this sounds crazy probably to some people, but you'll write a song, you'll release it, and you'll say, oh, I forgot. Yeah, we worked with so-and-so on that. Or we haven't confirmed the splits. We ha we have some cuts on the, most, uh, the latest Kendrick Lillard damn record the splits took like a year to, to to suss out i mean they're negotiating right you know and as the record gets bigger their negotiating position gets bigger well at what point in time does that then finalize when they finally want to get starting to get paid you know they're not going to get paid until they confirm the split so when they need the money and they feel like maybe they're they've abused their negotiation position long enough 
you know, it's, it's an awkward dance, right? It's a creative process. You're in a studio and you have a special moment with someone. What is it worth when you change Ferrari to Lamborghini? Is that worth 5%? Is that worth 1%? What about if you just smell good in the studio that day and... Or the artist <laughs> wanders in or somebody exactly. that you want to have as the right name walks in. Yeah. And that's the smell good joke, right? You know, it's, it's not to explain it, but, you know, we hear time and time again of certain artists that'll, they'll come in and record a record and they'll say, I want splits on this and... They didn't write anything on it, but they're going to get it because they're the big star. Um, so, you know, configuring that meta, going back to configuring the metadata, the the label side is really going to, I think, sort out what are the tactics and what are the ways to get noticed better on Amazon, Alexa, and, and other Google Home and all those other platforms. And you just have to write along with that? Yeah, there's nothing we can do, really, other than, you know, push the DSPs to recognize composer data so you can say, hey, Play me songs that um, were written by the same songwriter on this song. That mm-hmm. would be great, right? You know, that you could say, hey, play me songs by Benny Blanco. Is one of, we, we uh, worked with him to acquire a lot of his catalog years ago. And um, it'd be great if you could just listen to his hits. They're really great. And you'd have a theme and you'd see the artistry between the songs. If you think about the same thing when, you, when it comes to who's the drummer on this song? Who is the guitarist? Who produced this record? You know, those are all things that are really hard to get right um, because the metadata has just been lost by the wayside. You used to have to create really nice-looking liner notes, and they had these full schedules. But they still weren't searchable. They were... They were offline, and you had Discogs trying to do God's work, collecting Mm -hmm. all this information, and you had the kind of crowdsource model there. And I think Discogs is in a very interesting place as a comp as an organization i forget if it's a nonprofit or not i think it might be for profit but it, it kind of had has has the opportunity to be the imdb of the space they they have a good chance as anyone i think everyone wants to be that right now you've got i think tivo's rovi vis-a-vis rovi is in the space grace note and nielsen are working on you know products that basically serve this market for various end users you know whether it be in the car exposing this metadata to other um maybe smaller DSPs or, or other folks that want this enriched data. Uh, there's a bit of a land rush happening, I think, right now. Um, and that's happening here at this conference, actually. I think they're all kind of coming to the conclusion that they need to enrich their metadata beyond just the artists, the pictures, maybe a, a bio and a blurb about the artist and the song. Um, they need this kind of melody data. They need data around what mood it, it, it might support. Well, especially um, as the advertising largely is getting to be mood driven. That's also true. You know, the, the audio ad market has, I think maybe this is the, the, the next say 14 months are going to be the most important for that market ever. I mean, you know, they have finally convinced terrestrial radio people that they're not important. <laughs> they, they've decided that the advertising market for terrestrial radio is just not a good deal anymore. And those rates are starting to decline and you're seeing it. And it's going to, it's going to, we're going to take the gas out of that. And as it should, because there's no attribution and all these new platforms are going to enable, Hey, I want to target people who are driving to buy a Dunkin' donuts. I want to only do those, do those people, right? You can't do that on terrestrial. Well, the ad market was so used to not having that data and having to do survey data to find out who was even listening. And now whether you can Shazam the song or you can get all that data from a digital listening experience, I think we're finally retraining advertisers to kind of go, well, wait, what what am I getting? And attribution is getting to be more demanded. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the level of like just the in-car, out-of-car, you know, that alone is 
a very, very valuable thing to advertisers that they never had that ability to target at. And I just so can't. in car out of car that that I'm driving to some place to actually buy stuff. I could be going somewhere. Maybe I, you know, if I'm Jamba Juice, why am I advertising to people in their home or when, when I could be advertising them in their car? Okay. I mean, they're out of the home. They're more targetable to go achieve a purchase or in the morning you know a breakfast place is going to target people who just started their car and terrestrial you can just blanket it but you know you don't know if they're listening from their workplace or listening from their house where they might not be as actionable and i'm super excited about that because it should raise cpms on ads and um so the, so the cost per thousand should get to be better than on right. the digit on the digital side to make up for the money coming out of the terrestrial radio. I certainly hope side. so. Yeah. And I, I think I'm not really worried about the decline in terrestrial radio. I think it'll still be there for, you know, five, six, seven, eight, ten years. And, but, but it is a big payout for songwriters. I mean, if your is. song actually does well on playlisting, no matter what the country is, that then gets picked up then now kind of the opposite direction for radio. On a, on a per... For the for certainly for hit songwriters, terrestrial radio plays an outside um, influence in their income, and that will be taking a hit. But I think the um, increase in streams will, in the aggregate of all songwriters, be better for the writing and music community. Um, I do think that hit songwriters are going to take a a hit, <laughs> for for lack of a better word. But they were getting paid outside of what they should have been paid because of these surveys and because of the way that callouts work and all that. It's just it's that that world is changing. You see Stanford just put out a great survey around how people who use streaming services go they go deeper into the catalog. They listen to more and more different artists, different songs. You're not necessarily going to go listen to a full album as often these days. You'll go to one artist maybe hear their next song, then it'll jump to a completely different song. Maybe it'll go to their other EP instead of their, from their LP and back to their back catalog because of the way that the algorithms have been designed and you can configure your, your kind of listening on these services. And in the way that you might experience a, a single, it'll go from the single, then you'll go down to the next EP, and then maybe it'll jump to a different, um, to a different uh, radio, essentially, right? You know, and... It's, it's different than the traditional, okay, I'm going to put the CD on and just listen to this all the way through, right? And, or even even in, I think, the way that Spotify has figured out how to get, how to optimize for longer listens, they've they've enabled more variety of music, which I think is, is good. I mean, you know, one of the big complaints I think a lot of songwriters have is that are in my kind of main market, the DIY market, is that um, they're not, they're not, obviously a representative on radio. So how do I get exposed to, to more listeners and streaming has been great for that. You know, streaming streaming ultimately on balance is better than the existing market for the DIY folks to succeed at becoming like a middle-class musician for sure. I think, you know, used to be able to go sell a bunch of CDs, obviously that's over, but you know, the ability to get discovered is so much greater than it was before. Maybe you used to be able to be a niche artist and still and sell CDs and so so on, but you can still do that. I mean, you can go on to Pledge Music or Kickstarter and have your kind of audience be monetized vis-a-vis merch or live performances. Or vinyl. Or vinyl. Vinyl's still growing. Or oddly cassette tapes. The tape scene. The good old tape scene. So you're talking about the fact that whether it's Spotify or their other paid playlists are paid uh, subscription environments is good for your 
your clientele, your wonderful folks you're doing business with. Is that also across the world growing in the same way? We, um, we've seen numbers today at this conference about that uh, you know, we've had strong double-digit growth. We're having in lots of markets. Not as much, though, in Europe and Asia as streaming, though, is not necessarily new or newer in some countries. So where are we kind of, where are we going? So where's the growth come from next? Are we kind of in a few years of more people saying I should be paying for this and not an ad market? People are going to get convinced to get off their ads. It's, it's eventually you get annoyed by the ads. And especially as a lot of the services get into their more out of their growth mode and more into their let's get some profits mode, they're going to turn up the ad load, you know, the amount of minutes per hour or per, you know, streaming session where you're going to see, hear ads. And there's a delicate balance there, right? You can annoy people so much that they maybe go back to piracy or maybe they go to a different service, but a lot of people are just going to convert to paid. Or in a service where they then are, their data is being used to have them buy things like Amazon. Right. Yeah. Or as a, as a, ancillary additional um give right it's the prize inside yeah i think there's still people obviously in america who've never heard of streaming and they still don't understand that that's a thing you can do it's just going to take more time and it's that same thing around the world and it's just not contemplated that oh it's something different than radio you know like a lot of people are just radio listeners that's how they can consume music it's only in their car and they don't listen to music at home as they get newer cars and as they just spend more time in, in the universe they're going to get exposed to what is a streaming service i know it sounds so silly to say this in 2018 but it's the reality is you know not everyone uses streaming yet your audience probably on this podcast definitely does but i mean i talked to my uber driver today he didn't know what spotify was you know that's where we're at still and and yet we heard today from ford that they're going to sunset having cds in cars oh yeah i mean that's a writing on the wall there's just, it's a, it's a moving part, <laughs> you know, from them, they're making so many of these things. They're not going to be able to find an obstacle uh, supplier eventually that can well, hit they're their saying scale. actually that they have really big um, breakage rates and like repair problems with it. So wow. that you're having, you know, considering it's a non-use item for a lot of people that you have then problems with it. So then they have all sorts of follow-on issues that if it's not needed anymore. Yeah. You can imagine they must've done the analysis. Well, for every person who brings in their CD player that's broken, and then they also say, well, this is also broken. That costs us this much in warranties. And they said, all right, kill it. <laughs> you know, got to get rid of that. Some bean counter was all over it, I'm sure. What about sunsetting for downloads? Uh, we've seen, you know, iTunes is going to go out of business in uh, end of 19. So it's, Well, it's, they've said that internally and not on the record. I, I, yeah. I'd imagine that's the truth. Maybe but, but we're seeing tremendous decline in downloads in the yeah. U.S., other countries as well. Then what if I actually want to own a track? I think Bandcamp is going to have a great time in the next five years. There are diehards. People, I mean, I, I was on a SiriusXM show uh, a couple days ago, and we had a call in, and they said uh, she, if she listens to a song more than three times on Spotify, she'll go buy the album. And I was like, you're my whale. I love you. Can you, <laughs> like, I need more of you, but I'm not going to convince people to do that, right? The, the cool thing about streaming is back in the 90s, I think at peak, it was like $76 or something per average human even inflation adjusted, I think that doesn't come out to, uh, you know, what you're earning now from a streaming um, environment. So the average revenue per user has gone up in the last, um, you know, uh, 20, 25, 30 years. That's really exciting to me. It means that more people are spending money on content. I think that that is the biggest, biggest shift in, in our industry to get our people, to get them to grow the pie, right? That's what's so cool about this. 
ultimately I think we'll see some shrinkage on terrestrial, right? But just getting more people and as kids become call from college and play their student plans into paid plans, we have a whole generation that only knows streaming, right? And they're all on $5 Spotify accounts and those become nine ninety nine real fast. And so there's a huge, huge coming upswell just, just on that. You have, you have the next four years we have, you know, probably eight, 10, I don't know how many college kids are at eight, 10 million, probably that's going to be an extra 50% on those accounts. So there is, so much greenfields in in the, in the industry. And you guys are nicely positioned for the, I was going to say normalization of this, but totally. for the the making this a, a distinct, normal, processed, clean pattern. I was, we were five years too early. I mean, I thought we'd be where we are now five, like, you know, three, four years ago. And we're, we weren't. And we're here now, which is, is where I'm glad we're still here as a company. And we spent a lot of time you know, building our infrastructure so we're prepared for the coming glorious years of streaming. I mean, that's what we're going to be in in the next, you know, 5, 10, 15 years until we can configure uh, some sort of device to beam music right into our brain or something. Well, is that, the, I mean, I've uh, been seeing all these charts today at, at the conference and things I've seen extensively before now, but we thought the downloads were going to be that and that streaming was going to be maybe there where YouTube's been around since, what, 2004, 2005. So we've had stre streaming music and the video side for a while, and that's gotten to be a smaller pace. I've been hearing a lot about music videos actually today here. Is streaming the the next big thing for a while now, or is it that we're going to be expecting immersive experiences in our car, and you're going to be dealing with the licensing side of that? If you think about, I mean, the next wave is like us being so lazy and in our Ubers that we're driving everyone everywhere, and we're using VR headsets in our Ubers. Maybe we're watching more concerts, like on a per capita basis. I don't think that's really going to change that dramatically but you know 15 years could be a really weird time we could all be just being shuttled around in our our flying cars and and you know rocketing off to mars and and watching uh our vr experiences but streaming is going to be the way people are going to consume music for the next 15 years, plus years i mean i don't really see that changing any last words as we close up it's been it's been fun this is a this is a great great chance to talk about um our our future here as an industry the, the the cool thing about the next few years is that normalization of streaming right you, you, you put it on the head there it's really important that um we get more and more people on these streaming platforms because they're going to pay that 120 bucks and ultimately that's going to go into the hands of creators and then more great music's going to be created well that wraps up this podcast many thanks to the ucla herb alpert school of music and the ucla center for music innovation for being our hosts of this ongoing series you can subscribe to us in all the usual places, or you can come find us at innovation.schoolofmusic.ucla.edu. Join us again to follow the other adventures that we will be tracking down in innovating music. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.